The Incomparable is brought to you by Concert Against Humanity from Cards Against Humanity. A night of comedy and music in Indianapolis on August 5th. Get tickets at ConcertAgainstHumanity.com. The Incomparable, number 310, July 2016. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and we are here to talk about 2016's supernatural comedy film. I sound like a Wikipedia page. The remake of 1984 blockbuster comedy sci-fi spectacular Ghostbusters. This one, uh, directed by Paul Feig and starring Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones. I am joined by my own panel of Ghostbusters. Lisa Schmeiser is here. She's the heart of the Ghostbusters. Hi, Lisa. Happy to ring your childhoods, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Eric Ensign is also here. I am indeed. You're the liver of the Ghostbusters. I'm going to stop the metaphor of internal organs. It really only goes to the heart. probably for the best. Someone will be the kidneys. I call Holtzman. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no! Our, our, our expert scientist who loves potato chips, Shannon Sutterth. Hello. Hola, Frikis. And she knows everything there is to know about New York history because oh. she, wrote, she, wrote, she wrote a book that had, it was set in New York in the past. Anyway, it's Helene Wecker. Hi. Hello. <laughs> All right. Um, and I will uh, be listening to my saxophone, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I'm just going to answer the phones, but the phone's in the aquarium, so I don't know how that's going to work. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I think I, where to start here? Let's start with the cast because one of the great things that, uh, that Paul Feig has done in general in his movies is work with a bunch of very talented people and then he keeps working with them again. Um, and I have, a uh, I love Paul Feig's stuff going way back to Freaks and Geeks, uh, which he was, uh, deeply involved with. Uh, and I read his book, Kick Me. Adventures in Adolescence, which is so painful and yet so funny. And as a director, he has uh, he has found some very funny women. And uh, and there's obviously a lot of loyalty there because he works with them and they work with him again and again. Um, so this cast is a pretty stellar cast. Paul Feig worked with Melissa McCarthy uh, in uh, Spy, which I want to just say really good movie if people haven't seen spy i was shocked at how much i liked spy i kind of was like yeah it'll be funny and it was great um so let's let's start with melissa mccarthy because i think in some ways her her role is the is is i don't know it's it's i think it's the most difficult in some ways only because she kind of has to be uh problematic and be in opposition to Kate McKinnon and Kristen, or to to Kristen Wiig at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, not Kate McKinnon, to Kristen Wiig. Um, what did everybody think about Melissa McCarthy? To me, M- Melissa McCarthy will always be Suki from the Gilmore Girls. I know, right? Uh, I haven't seen her in very much in the interim because she keeps doing comedy stuff and that's just not my scene. I don't care if it's women or men starring. The goofy comedy is not uh, is not my thing. Spy kind of intrigued me. You gotta and watch. After hearing after yeah. hearing you say that, I am I am now even more interested. You gotta watch Spy to, mm-hmm. see, to see that. But uh, I I did appreciate seeing her in this because she was uh, there wasn't a single fat joke in the whole movie, which is something that I was kind of went in just dreading. Yeah, and yeah, I mean there was really there were no no jokes based on appearance of a female. <laughs> yeah, no 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 female looks policing jokes, which is amazing when you think about it. Yeah. Um 
And uh, can we talk, like, we'll get back to Melissa McCarthy. Can we talk for a moment about how great the jumpsuits are? Because. All right. Mm-hmm. It's a little subcategory. Jumpsuits. Well, because they weren't because because they weren't cut in a way where you know you're flashing cleavage or they're skin tight or they're impractical. They are workwear, and yep. well, and well, if you look at the um, if you look at how they're designed, they do move the pocket placement on both Jones and McCarthy so that their big cargo pockets are on the front of their thighs and not on the hips. Um, so there's some visual streamlining going on, but uh, like the point is. They're so functional. And I was paying a lot of attention to the wardrobe choices through the whole movie. And what I really appreciated about it is um, Abby, Melissa McCarthy's character, is allowed to dress like an attractive woman who has good hair, which she does. And and what I liked about her character through the whole thing is um, she was so unapologetic. One of the things that um, I had a hard time with the first 20 minutes of Spy and mind you, I liked the movie, but the, I had a hard time with the first 20 minutes because the first 20 minutes are basically set up for her character to kind of go through life cringing and apologizing for daring to take, take up as much space as she has and mm-hmm. accepting other people's looks policing of her and making all these jokes about her and stuff. And it was so, so, so pleasant to sit in a movie where Melissa McCarthy as Abby is just allowed to go through the movie and be smart and 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 pursue knowledge the way you know, she, she has a hypothesis by gum and she's going to stick to it and she's going to and and she you know i just loved how how comfortable she was as it as herself through the whole film um it was a really interesting contrast to the way Kristen Weig played Aaron because she plays Aaron as a deeply uncomfortable person. But like you relax into Abby and as, as a character and as a performer. And it was just so much fun to watch. And the only time that she's the butt of the joke is when she's the butt of the joke because she's, you know, investigating crazy ghost stuff right. and has, a, yeah. you know, like it's it's nothing related to to her as a woman. It is it is just yeah. her character. Yeah. She can't handle the power pack and, and, yep. and goes yeah. flinging around the, the alley. Well, it, oh, yeah, then we any, had that. But yeah, she, but, but yeah. that would be any character. That's yeah. If, if there are two, I mean, I think Holtzman. And and, uh, and we'll get to her. We're, we're just I'm going to work up to her. Holtzman and, and Abby are the closest analogs to characters in the original movie because because Abby is very much the Dan Aykroyd character. She is incredibly like over enthusiastic about ghost stuff to the point where everybody else is like, yeah, ghosts. OK, whatever. And um, and there's a lot of comedy to be gained from that. And I, I enjoyed her her kind of giddy enthusiasm about it. Um, that I, I thought, yeah, I thought that was, uh, I thought that was good. The jumpsuits. Um, I also want to bring up the, the one of the things I always, I've always thought about the 1984 Ghostbusters is there. And we mentioned this in our episode that you can go back and listen to about that, about that movie is they really try to code the Ghostbusters as working class. They're like plumbers mm-hmm. more yeah. than they are like, like they very quickly try to get you to forget that these, these people have PhDs, right? There's like very quickly, it's like, no, 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 they're wearing mm-hmm. jumpsuits. They're plumbers, except it's like ghost plumbing. And I liked that they are, <laughs> they are similarly here wearing work clothes, that this is not, they're not superheroes wearing superhero costumes. Mm-hmm. They're plumbers wearing plumber outfits, basically. They're janitors, essentially. <laughs> I felt like she was the linchpin sort of of the cast. Mm -hmm. She was probably in the end, like if if there was going to be like a straight man in the movie, well, they all took turns, but she was it. She had Mm -hmm. some really funny moments and good deliveries. Oh, great. I mean, all her deliveries were (laughs) phenomenal, but, (laughs) but she was there just sort of, 
she was a more subtle part of the movie mm-hmm. than I was expecting at all after seeing um, Bridesmaid and uh, and Spy. It was she was just there to be her, and that was mm-hmm. that was it. And she did it wonderfully. Grounding. She was a very yeah. grounding grounding presence. Yep. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. The script does a neat trick too because Kristen Wiig is is she comes into it as the as as the the straight man right Kristen Wiig mm-hmm. is the oh I don't believe in all your stupid ghost stuff uh, please take my book off the internet right and very mm-hmm. rapidly though they flip it around where she's like enthusiastically like we saw a ghost and it becomes uh it, it becomes the the problem of Melissa McCarthy of Abby to be to be more like all right. I'm a professional here. You mm-hmm. people are all crazy. We are scientists. Yeah. For me, I had no experience whatsoever with Melissa McCarthy other than knowing she was Molly and Mike and Molly, which I didn't watch. Similarly, I was not familiar with like really any of the cast other than this was this movie was my introduction for to just about everybody. Um and for me, Melissa McCarthy, as you said, quite often was like the sort of the straight man of the group. I mean, you know, yes, there were times when she was hilarious um, and she could be very funny in the movie, but there was just as often other characters were playing off her. And as we said, it's shifted who was being funny, who was being the straight man. And I loved that. I love that, you know, it, it enhanced the feeling of teamwork that we got from this group much more quickly than I think in the original, although that part of that is the fact that the original made the mistake of not bringing um, Ernie Hudson until three quarters of the way through. I would almost say since Melissa McCarthy is the most kind of bankable star of this group, that this is also mm-hmm. sort of generosity of like they like they don't need to push Melissa McCarthy here. She can be generous. She can throw uh, you know, throw humor to her co-stars because she's she's going to be fine, right? Like mm-hmm. she she's going to be fine. She can be that. She can afford to be generous, and 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 they can afford to let her not have all of the all of the big laughs here. Not like she doesn't have any, but she she it it seemed a little relaxed to me. She didn't have to be. She doesn't dominate this. Mm-hmm. Which you could you could look at the cast and say, well, she's going to dominate it because she's the one who has the most uh, the biggest box off box office track record of this group. Uh, what about Kristen Wiig? Uh, Kristen Wiig gets the gets to gets to have the first part of the movie. She's sort of our viewpoint character into this world. We see her at Columbia University. Charles Dance is very stern, scary. Charles Dance from Game of Thrones and other things. Awesome. Princeton is not an acceptable university. Very good joke. And, and and it's this is a tough job too because she's got she she you know she comes around but at the beginning she's trying to be kind of no fun and skeptical mm-hmm. and all of that which I I think I think is interesting she's also the furthest away in some ways from her analog from uh, the original Ghostbusters movie and I mm-hmm. think I think a really clever creative decision to make her not a fraud. In the way that Venkman mm-hmm. in the original is, he's a fraud. He knows mm-hmm. it's a fraud, even though it turns out that the ghosts are real. He doesn't care. He's just uh, using it to have fun and meet girls Get and laid. things like that. Yeah. Exactly mm-hmm. right. And and here, Kristen Wiig is like she's very serious. She's in she's she's gone from metaphysics on to physics, and she wants to get tenure. And then everything kind of comes out from under her. And I think that's like a much better a much better starting place for that uh, for that character to start out as legitimate, and that puts her in opposition to everybody else when she when she finally has that moment when she finds out the ghosts are real. She's the only character who has any sort of arc, but and it was an arc that I really appreciated of just, you know, having 
being the, the, the woman in the man's field and, and needing, you know, needing tenure and needing to be validated. And like you said, like having it all sort of ripped out from under her and having to, and sort of going back to this world that she seems to fit in much better than the world that we saw her in at the very beginning of the movie and actually learning to sort of live that life again. Um, and it was it was subtle. It was like a subtle sort of character transformation. Um, there were no giant catharsis moments for her character, which was fantastic. Um, and it worked. It, it it worked to sort of propel that little emotional part of the movie forward. The whole movie is about friendship because when mm-hmm. she starts, when Erin starts the movie, she is, as you point out, a woman in a male dominated field, and she's so lonely. Like everything yeah. about that character just screams isolation and loneliness and awkward mm-hmm. and trying really hard because mm-hmm. she's not being authentic to who she really is. Like if you watch how her clothes change over the course of the movie too, there's by the time she's really settled into the whole idea that, yeah, we're doing this Ghostbusters thing. She's back in a sweatshirt and jeans and she's super happy. <laughs> and it's a, well, it's a huge contrast, yeah. but, but the whole movie, you take a look at it and the, what is the thing that saves everybody at the end? It's a Swiss army knife that, um, <laughs> Holtzman had given to Aaron and said, every woman needs to be armed. And Holtzman did that as a gesture of friendship. And Aaron, in return, saves everybody's life with it and does a little callback. But by the end of the movie, like, these four women have all solidified their relationships. You know, Patty has sort of tied them into New York as a whole, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Aaron and Abby he- mend their rift, and they now share custody of Holtzman. <laughs> 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 no, but it's 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 about um you know Aaron becomes a much happier and more well-rounded person not because she goes from physics to metaphysics but because she goes from being lonely to being with her people and I really enjoyed that where the movie is a celebration of of that too like where else can it be so nakedly illustrated but when Patty literally slaps a ghost out of Abby screaming <laughs> get my friend the power of Patty compels you <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I love that they let um Aaron you know even as she finds her tribe again and settles mm-hmm. again she they let her continue to be awkward at times I mean just mm-hmm. the, the her, her her crush over Kevin you know yeah. she, she just never quite gets over that he's so cute well let's be fair Kevin is pretty <laughs> well yeah but you know Abby's totally oblivious to it and Holtzman just thinks it's all great fun mm-hmm. but it doesn't take away from her moments where you know the academic comes forward and she's thinking and she puts um puts together conclusions um and it's balanced. And it is kind of getting back to the sort of the mirror image of, of Peter Venkman, because, I mean, it's, you know, if if this movie, as as done like this, was gender swapped, it would be really gross and skeevy mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. that she would be treating her uh, her assistant. And I'm I'm a big fan of flipping that around. And because the power mm-hmm. dynamic is so different. Yes, it is funny and it mm-hmm. works for me. Um, although I honestly, for me, it was a little a little too much. I think mm-hmm. I, I, I struggled a bit with the first could the first 20 minutes or so of the movie. And I think I, I think the parts where I continued to struggle later on were mostly around Aaron's character because it seemed like the jokes mm-hmm. that were trying too hard and didn't land right for me almost always were related to her. And maybe that's mm-hmm. just because awkward humor doesn't particularly float my boat uh, yeah. but mm-hmm. or or because it just I don't know the the trying too hard thing just didn't quite 
sing along with the rest of it. Um, That's like- interesting. I had a problem with the pacing in this movie. It felt like I could, like, if if I had, like, the movie equivalent of a red pen, I could go through and, yeah. like, delete five seconds out of every scene and mm-hmm. just pull it together and it could be a good 15, 20 minutes shorter without really losing any content. And I wonder how much, I'll have to go back and see, and I wonder how much of that would be around her character that maybe she's just operating at a slightly slower pace, just comedically or whatever from the rest of the movie. And that's sort of dragging it a little. This is a problem with modern comedies in general, yeah. though, because I've noticed this when I went to see This is the End, which is, um, I can't wait for the all-girl remake of that one, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when I went to see that, because you've got a bunch of people who do do a lot of improv, there are some really laggy bits in that movie, which is odd because it's about the end of the world. And that was the, th- I think that the, 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 the comedy trend towards, oh, we, you know, give the actors a general idea and let them riff. Like, you do get some good material, but I think sometimes you just get a lot of stuff that goes on for a beat or five longer than it should. And I guess we're supposed to find part of that funny, too, or just like a... But you know what? I really don't care about the process behind the camera. I I don't care. Like, no, I read an interview where they're like, well, Chris Hemsworth like totally snowballed us and claimed he couldn't ad lib or or improv but he did his whole interview improv and I was like well I'm glad it worked I don't need to know how it works I don't care to know if I want to know I'll read the IMDB trivia page in two years when this is on HBO like I I care about a tight final product that sings okay (laughs) it's kind of like how Jason often uh, Jason often points out when a writer in a book uh, likes to show their work I did a lot of research research here folks Yep. Yeah, and this is this is kind of like the the visual equivalent of that. We did so much ad libbing, you guys. We got to show it to you. No, yeah. no, you really no, don't. you don't. You look at the original movie. The, the like, why did the original movie succeed the way it did? Well, it had some amazing actors, but Ivan Reitman, that man, yeah. could build a movie. And it's, I mean, I haven't seen it in a number of years, but what I remember of it is just the pacing is just driving you forward from scene to scene Mm -hmm. through the movie. And in this one, it was like there were, it was like moving from bit to bit. Mm-hmm. And just with some dead space in between. And it it just felt a little more casual than I wanted it to. For what it's worth, Spy is like that too. And I say this as somebody who really did enjoy Spy and has watched mm-hmm. it a couple times on HBO. Spy is like that too, where there are parts of that that just go on or there are some excessively yeah. long uh, you know transitions and you're like really really this is we, we, I have to wait through this to get to the good stuff again <laughs> let me take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors it's concert against humanity brought to you by cards against humanity it's happening Friday August 5th in Indianapolis that's where Gen Con is going on the country's largest gaming event but you don't have to be a Gen Con attendee the general public is also welcome at Concert Against Humanity it's a night of comedy and music featuring live performances from Eugene Merman Aparna Nancheria Jonathan Colton Molly Lewis Paul and Storm and many more surprise guests from the Chicago comedy scene Rumor has it that Dan Morin and David Lohr might even show up for that. Uh, You might want to ask them about that in case you're going to Gen Con or live in Indianapolis. Anyway, here's what you need to do. Go to ConcertAgainstHumanity.com and get your tickets now. And then what you do is you go 
to the theater in Indianapolis on Friday, August 5th, and you laugh and you listen to great music at Concert Against Humanity. Thanks to Concert Against Humanity and Cards Against Humanity for sponsoring this episode. I felt like the original Ghostbusters was very much, it was a a comedy of that time mm-hmm. that was, you know, about about yeah. ghosts and stuff. And I, and I feel like this movie is too. This, this felt like yes. a modern comedy with yeah. all of the good things and all of the not so good things that tend to go along with it. The, the yeah. pacing and the, the improv stuff being part of that. There's that whole um, recorded sound of ghosts that is farts or whatever that I'm like, yeah. okay, mm-hmm. I get we what you really... were trying to do here, but at some point did mm-hmm. somebody not go, yeah, that's not really working. We're going to just take that out. They're like, no, yeah. we're going to put it yeah. all in there. And as a result, mm-hmm. yeah, the 20, first 20 minutes especially, I mean, we, we Erica mentioned it. I feel like there's something wrong. Like it just it just doesn't doesn't move and it doesn't it doesn't and then it's, there's a moment where the movie catches fire, but it is mm-hmm. like 20 25 minutes in. And it's weird that yeah. it does that cuz it starts off with such a kick. Like Zach Woods gives that movie like a really oh, know, strong right? opening. Some of the best lines are in the first 3 minutes of that movie. Yeah, I was the anti-Irish gates and there's this really strong beginning. I was like, "Oh, this is and I was like, "Oh, this is not disappointing me. This is great." Yes. And then like it lags for quite Sags. a while. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, okay. And then it does pick up again, but it's it's a little saggy in spots. Um, yeah, for sure. I think those early yeah. spots felt to me like I have no problem with Saturday Night, uh, Saturday Night Live actors being in in any movie, really, but in this movie, especially <laughs> considering sure. the original. Exactly. Um, but yeah. I do have a, a huge problem with when the movie starts to feel like a Saturday Night Live sketch. And there are definitely parts in the early section like the farting joke in particular that was yeah. that was one where it's just like ooh no that that was my complete my so so coming home from this and and Lauren and I actually watched the original ghostbusters when we got home from watching this um and we and we enjoyed this movie but she said she she agreed with me about the about the first 20 minutes and she said here I'll give you two examples she says the the princeton is not an acceptable uh reference that's a good joke and she said the ghost farting that is not a good joke. And I'm like, yeah, I agree. It's like, there, there's not, it's not like there wasn't good yeah. stuff in the first 20 minutes. It's just like, it, it, it was almost like you were watching the process of them trying to figure out what jokes worked or not, except then they didn't edit. And like the red pen, as we, as we said earlier, then, then they're like, okay, mm-hmm. these don't work. And so it's almost like, we don't know. And, and honestly, it's weird. What's weird about it is 25 minutes in, it feels like the, the percentage of things that land goes up to yeah. a very high percentage but but you have to get through that first part to get there it's weird i wonder if it's in part because because after that you sort of have the whole band together and yeah. that's part of yeah. it yeah the, as everyone gets together it, it works better there's yeah. some logical leaps in the original ghostbusters that we noticed um when we watched it after we watched this where it's very like you could stop slow it down and be like what boy things happen like ernie hudson appears very rapidly they get their business set up incredibly rapidly and and to go back to the ivan reitman thing and also harold ramus coming in and working on the screenplay that dan Aykroyd's original was apparently incomprehensible not surprising really <laughs> um uh, that uh i could see that right where it's just like we don't we just skip it and the audience will go with it we don't need to get into detail here and uh and then there was more time some of it i liked i like the idea that we're almost seeing the this whole movie happens almost between the first like few scenes of the original Ghostbusters because it is about how do they become the Ghostbusters, but there's kind of too much of it, I think. 
Yeah, I could tell. I've um, gotten to see it twice at this point. Uh, the first time Chip and I went on opening night, and then last night we took our son, our 14-year-old. And I could tell, um, just sort of by sensing how much he was squirming in the seat next to me um, when he was engaged and when he was getting bored. And the biggest chunk of kind of you know, shifting around, heavy size, that sort of thing, for the most part, was in that that first 15, 20 minutes as we're getting things together. Now I'm imagining him, you like using him as a guinea pig and you're sitting there next to him taking notes, like and then making time marks about when he squirms. There's like a little stopwatch <laughs> where she clicks it every time. And- Very Harold Ramis like. Turn the dial to the right if you're having a good <laughs> yes. time, son. Turn the dial to the left if you're not. No, just a like a little time. like a little ticker where every time he, he fidgets yeah. it, another tick, tick, tick. Uh, okay, let's talk about let's talk about Kate McKinnon because everybody loves Kate McKinnon. And she uh, she is she is the Harold Ramis analog here. She is the enthusiastic mm. scientist who does not Egon their... was never this bonkers. The, no, no. It, no, it's yeah. true. It's true. But, but it, well, although he did that, there was that time he tried to d- drill a hole in his head, but they stopped him. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, this is, it, it is the breakout character for sure. She does, uh, you know, she does a fantastic job. Why don't you all tell me about your, your feelings about Holtzman? <laughs> Just get it. Just oh let god. it out. Pour out your feelings about Holtzman. Oh my god, now. the feels. The f- so much yeah, of it. Well, in her case, it's not just lines and how she delivers them. How she goes through the techno babble, like you know, Bing Bang Bomb, and we've got a Faraday cage and all that. She does mm-hmm. that very well. But just she's anytime she's on screen, you know she's there. Her face, yeah. her her body, her posture, her her physicality is just drawing and you know she's stealing scenes without even saying a word it's amazing the, the posse women i went to see it with like we exited the theater and everyone just kind of sighed for a while and sighed and then <laughs> my friend says chris hemsworth is the second sexiest thing in that movie uh, yeah. here here yeah and and it, at you could like you could feel your Kinsey skill recalibrating. <laughs> exactly. I spoke about it briefly on the on uh, the last Verity podcast, and uh-huh. my co-host Deb, like as I was just going on and gushing, she's like, "Yep." She's like, "Did you hear that trombone noise as you uh, slid down the Kinsey scale?" Like, yes. <laughs> Yes, I did. There are going to be like uh, ten years from now, you're going to have podcasts by by people who are like, and that is the moment I realized something about yeah. myself when they're watching Ghostbusters. <laughs> but it, it's it's such a smart and nuanced performance when you look at it too, because she's got everything from the expressions, and she plays off of everybody so beautifully. Like the scene where they're interviewing Kevin, Holtzman doesn't even say a word. She just, um, ex- except for like for the beginning, she says, "So and so, Radio Times, what have you been doing with your life?" But after, yeah. like after that, she just lets everybody else go, and she looks back and forth like she's in a tennis match. And I like that she is not sucking up all the attention on the screen with, look at me, look at me. Mm-hmm. But she drags you into the scene because she's just so present and engaged that you, you know, you get pulled into her level, which I loved. That generosity again. I think everybody had had that sort of same level mm-hmm. of yeah. generosity. So everybody got a chance to mm-hmm. t- to shine. But I think I think you guys are right that when she was on screen, she she did draw my eye. And like, yeah. you know, it was it was sort of hard to look away because I think in part because she is the kind of character that I don't know that I've ever seen a woman playing on screen mm-hmm. before. And it's such a delightful kind of character to just be she is being who she is. She's not trying to please anybody. She is enthusiastic and excited about stuff, about the guts of the machinery and and 
everybody is cool with that. It's it's not only that she is this kind of character who's excited about it. It's that she's surrounded by people who just let her be that kind of person and and go with it. Oh, you know what her performance reminds me of actually is French and Saunders. Because ah. uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of both Don French and Jennifer Saunders. And one of the reasons I was, I, I was, I fell head over heels in love with their brand of comedy in the nineties was precisely because they have that huge level of engagement and that complete lack of self-consciousness and the commitment to the material where they respect the material, but they can see how absurd it is. And so when McKinnon was playing Holtzman, there's just this level of, of like the dial goes up to 11 on, on it. And she's, you can tell she respects the character. She's not playing Holtzman as a joke, which is, which is great. I felt sometimes the camera almost didn't know what to do with her. That, that it was, they, obviously that the direction had been, um, okay, you guys just sort of hug each other and celebrate and, you know, Holtzman, you do a Holtzman thing. But, because she was sort of over to the side or she was, you know, not in the, the, the center of the frame. It was like, like, like someone said, I, she drew my eye, but then I didn't know where to look. And that was like the only drawback to her character was at times it was like, she's so magnetic. I can't look anywhere else. And the camera mm-hmm. wants me to look somewhere else. There was, there was one, there was one Holtzman moment that I did not like, uh, mm-hmm. because once again, it felt like, you know, it didn't even feel like a Saturday Night Live moment. It felt like a commercial during Saturday yeah. Night Live moment. And that was the salty <laughs> parabola. I was so ripped out of the movie at that point that it was such a dead line. Yeah. Oh, I don't, that worked for me. I was I was fascinated by the commitment with the with the potato chips on the face and then like and then like later you look back when the when the when um the evil ghost is sliming Aaron and you see Holtzman watching and she is literally surrounded by a semicircle of broken potato chips and I was like that that is some commitment to this to the product placement yeah. Is that is. yeah and it, not even the product it just it felt like a line she would say even though we had not seen much of her character yet it just. It sounded exactly like something to me that that, that Holtzman would say in that moment. Maybe so. maybe the problem was simply because it came so early, because I really had not gotten a feel for her character at that point, And it just seemed it just it felt like, you know, a, a clanking sort of a sound yeah. instead of a nice ringing. But mm. if it would have come later in the film, I would I wonder if I would have been much more OK with it. And maybe not in a scene with that much sort of. Uh, manufactured tension. Yeah, no human yes, being yes. in that situation would. Ch- I just, I was like, who is this person yeah. that is he, that is talking to a potato chip during the middle of this? It's cartoony. Yeah. In the first scene where you meet her in Abby's lab, it seemed pretty obvious to me that Holtzman was kind of was kind of hazing Aaron because you know mm-hmm. who is this who is this person yeah. who's interrupting our two women fiefdom? Yeah, and threatening my p- connection with this mm-hmm. other person, right? It's like, well, but there's just the two of us. Now there's going to be three. Yeah, and so so I'm wondering like how much of her whack job behavior was I get to try out my new toys and how much of her whack job behavior is there's somebody here who's upsetting my 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 dynamic. Um, you know, and bearing in mind this is a completely fictitious character and <laughs> but but you know, I'm not saying she was calculated about it, but you know, if she's thrown off balance, maybe her her response is to throw other people off balance cuz she certainly didn't respond this way to Patty joining the team. It was, but but she seemed to have a little bit of a thing with Aaron going on. Yeah, I, well, you know what? What every comedy needs, though, Lisa, it needs uh-huh. an agent of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be on my tombstone. One of the things that uh, I I think about Holtzman is 
um, when we talk about the the analogs to the to the previous movie is she gets all of the Groucho energy, the roving agent of chaos energy that's in Venkman in the original. That is not in 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 uh, in Aaron here. It's in Holtzman. So she becomes this like roving agent of chaos. Uh, she's the Groucho. She's doing wacky stuff while everybody else is a little more grounded, and that allows her the freedom to be wacky because there are more grounded people around her. Um, and and I think it works great. I mean, she's the breakout of this movie. There, she like she is the best thing in this movie. I think by far. Have you guys seen the alien abduction sequence on SNL? Yes. It was the it was the week that Ryan Gosling was was the guest host, and there is um a sketch that's done where Kate McKinnon, Cecily Strong, and Ryan Gosling play three people who have been bodily kidnapped by a spaceship and are asked to describe the experience. And, you know, while I was watching that sketch the whole time um, it was going on, I kept thinking the only reason this works as well as it does, because it's a great piece. And, and like, Kate McKinnon just is, is phenomenal in it. But the point is she's phenomenal precisely because she's got Cecily Strong to play off of. And Strong is doing her best to try to play, to try to keep it, it grounded and leveled. And, you know, here you had the same thing where you just had both, uh, where you had Melissa McCarthy as, yes, this is what I am dealing with as a physicist who is quite possibly demented. Let's just roll. Keep on going. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, shut your mouth when Kevin is doing push-ups. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by the Zombies Run virtual race. We all know that running is a great way to get fit, but it also can be incredibly boring. I, my, I, I'm crying out for diversion and distraction and entertainment when I'm running. And this is a virtual race that makes running truly fun. Wherever you are in the world, you head out to run a 5 or 10K with your headphones in. As you run, the app will immerse you in a thrilling audio story that's especially designed to match the distance you're running. Zombies will be coming close on your heels and you'll need to run. You'll be breaking into a vault that is vital to the survival of humanity. There will be ways for you to run further and faster than you ever thought you could because you'll be motivated by the entertaining story that's going on in your ears. You're not just running around around the park with the Zombies Run virtual race, you are running to save the world. Your entry gets you a thrilling audio adventure series. It takes you from the start of your training right through to the end of the race. You'll also get a prospect technical running tee, a finisher's medal, and a whole bunch of other great gear. And it costs only $55, which is way cheaper and more fun than a gym membership. Enter the Zombies Run virtual race today at zombiesvirtualrace.com and use coupon code INCOMPARABLE to get $5 off your entry. Thanks to Zombies Run, the virtual race, for sponsoring The Incomparable. Okay, so let's let's talk about Leslie Jones as Patty. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so good. She's great. Oh, good, but oh, yeah. such mixed feelings. I have yep. such mixed yes. feelings about this. Yeah. Because, yeah, as soon as they announced that uh, that that the, uh, the the black character was not going to be a scientist, was going to be the yeah. only one not a scientist, which apparently in the original Ghostbusters, he the black character was originally supposed to be a scientist, and then they couldn't get Eddie Murphy, so they changed it. And Ernie Hudson took the part seeing an earlier draft of the script right. and then he saw a later draft mm-hmm. and they'd ripped out huge chunks of, of his background. How did he not set the studio on fire? Well, yeah, <laughs> he's had a problematic relationship with the work, I think, since then where he's yeah. recognized yeah. for it and he's mm-hmm. happy about it. But at the same time, he knows that it's not what he signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. So when they announced this, I was I was ugh, I was kind of upset and and not pleased. But then I saw the movie and and I I still agree that it is it is not cool that we have the one black character being the one who is you know the sort of down home folksy friendly friendly kind of person. 
But on the other hand, she was amazing. She played it really, really well. She tied. I mean, she, you know, you might say Melissa McCarthy is the heart of the Ghostbusters. I don't think so. I think it was I think it was Patty. <laughs> I think I think she's the one that pulled everybody together and really made the team actually work. Mm-hmm. Well, because she believed them in a way they didn't believe in themselves, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Oh, it's so yeah. much a better part than poor Ernie Hudson as Winston Zedmore yes. in the original. Yeah. So mm-hmm. much better. By far. And and she has much more to do. She's a much more well-realized character. Her introduction scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie where she's just working yeah. the job at the subway and the, and the, and the bad guy walks by morning, and says, morning, don't worry, bye. when the world ends, you'll be the last to die. And, and you're like, <laughs> Whoa, Whoa, what the hell was that? That was, And then it's like, oh, he's the bad guy. Oh, right? And and her reaction to that I was is like, good. He's an internet commenter. She got <laughs> She gets them. She gets them all together. She's yeah. funny, and and but there is that other issue, which is it's the black character who's not as well educated as they are, and she's but she's streetwise. It didn't strike me that she was less educated than the other others. Yes, well, she you know the well, others PhD. have PhD. She's not yeah. a PhD, yeah. right? Yeah. There's not nothing to show that she's in any way dumb or stupid. She just knows different stuff, right? But that's still less educated. I agree. If we didn't have the trope of the the uh, the black character in the group of white characters is the one who's streetwise, but we do have that. That that that's but it's always not even the role. As streetwise. I mean, yes, she is, but then she's also she's reads. She knows mm-hmm. history. Yeah. She knows New York. She knows all these places. And for God's sake, she's the one who figures out what to do with the car to close all, the vortex. All the details, all the details are done right. Yeah. Given the parameters. It's the sketch. It's the bare bones outline of it that's that's probably not right. But yeah. all the fleshing out is good and she benefits from it. She yeah. is she is not just what I thought she might be from the trailer, which is mm-hmm. which is the streetwise subway person. Yeah. She knows history and in detail, right? And and mm-hmm. the, the whole history of New York. She does solve things to save the world. She there's so much that's great about her. It's just when you abstract it that you're like, you know, it does come from a place that is kind of a, an unfortunate uh bit of scaffolding but they it's, yeah. it feels like after they made that decision then they made lots of great decisions to to make this a part that leslie jones could really dive into and she did the real problem is the fact that there aren't other there aren't a ton of other roles for black women getting to do a whole bunch of other things if we had a whole basket full of movies coming out every year where you had a black woman as a PhD and a black woman as a scuba diver and a black woman as, you know, anything else you could think of, then this wouldn't stand out as being such a big deal. But because there's such a a dearth of good roles or roles at all for women of color, the the few roles that come out there really do kind of need to stand for for more than they should have to. And it is sad and it sucks, but that's that's the way it is. And in a movie that was that was was billed and obviously built to upend as these tropes and mm-hmm. turn them on their heads. It did seem like a pointed omission that she would it's not pointed but not not like they were trying to send a message or anything. I shouldn't have said that, but but more like okay, then why didn't you guys do this because it's so obvious? Why didn't you turn this one on its head too? Yeah, or even within the movie, like, you know, why couldn't the character that Cecily Strong played, why couldn't that have been a black actress, you know, mm-hmm. being being the mm-hmm. PR person for the mayor? You know, that that's the one, that's another thing I thought of in the second time around. You know, yes, we've got this wonderful gender swapping and gender flipping and playing with those roles, but there's only two black characters in the movie. 
This yeah. is New York City. Surely there's yeah. more ethnic diversity in New York yeah. City than, <laughs> than, than is represented by one angry Chinese guy. store delivery and the, the delivery guy. guy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I totally buy that Zach Woods would work at a, in a historic mansion because that's precisely the type of job that trust fund brats get. <laughs> but there's, you know, there's a whole lot of, 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 there were a whole lot of other opportunities at every, at every point. And they did do, I think, a passable job because they, they cast, um, I'm like, it's Omar, and I'm trying to remember the poor actor's name. He's oh, yeah, Michael Omar Kenneth Williams. Yeah, oh, yeah. We yeah. just said, Omar! It's Omar! As one of the as one of the FBI, stupid FBI agents, along with Matt Walsh, right? Chris Hemsworth, should we talk about Chris as Ke- Hemsworth as Kevin Thor yes. himself? Uh, Let's please because- talk about Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> I yes, that guy. Chip, yeah. Chip pointed out to Will, will you ever be able to watch another Marvel movie? And Will is just like, no. <laughs> no, Thor, Thor 3, it's coming. Chris Hemsworth has handsome man syndrome where he's really, really funny, but no one's going to realize it because he's so handsome. Like, um, it's like John, John Hamm. Hamm had... Had that yeah. had that mm-hmm. problem for a while. Doesn't seem to have it anymore. He's he's violently overcome it with intense therapy and making friends <laughs> with Amy Poehler. Here, I thought he could have been funnier. To be honest, like I thought that people's reactions to him were very funny. I like that by the end of the movie, they've basically acknowledged that they're just paying him to to be to to be to breathe and be attractive. And that he'd almost mm-hmm. figured out the phone. That, well, that's oh, that's yeah. one of the things that I find very funny is that he gets he gets better as the movie goes along. He's never anything but terrible, but he gets yeah. he gets better. He can answer the phone although he doesn't know what to do he says at the one point he says they have a goat which also yeah. makes me laugh it's like it's probably <laughs> probably not a goat probably a ghost but yeah i will i will say the bit with the glasses was hysterical where he begins oh. to scratch his eyes with the glasses yeah. i although i wish they had just left it i wish he'd done that yeah. and they had the reaction mm-hmm. look and but then not the question we laughed out loud before they even yes. talked about it yeah that yeah. it could have been just so subtle that he would do that and there would be that wait did that just happen Happen and then they will go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I felt like I I love the idea that they are upending the the pretty bubble headed s- secretary stereotype. But mm-hmm. for me, it was just most of it was too much. I I wish that there would have been I don't know maybe a quarter of the amount of Kevin stuff in there, or just you know more of just him sort of in the background, but with less focus on him. I mean his interview thing and his pictures. Like in hindsight, I can laugh about it because I have talked to other people about it so i somehow that sort of softens it but in the movie theater i was kind of like squirming in my seat being like really really Hmm." (laughs) yeah and i think it's balanced though because you also have like in the latter part of the movie when he gets possessed by rowan and then hemsworth Mm -hmm. does a rather damn good job of you know doing neil casey yeah (laughs) so he did I mean, he's always had good comic instincts because there are actually several moments in Thor where even my husband, who's finicky about both comedy and and loathe super superhero movies, like where my husband actually laughed out loud at the same time I was. And um, when I was watching Avengers: Age of Ultron, like his casual hasty, like his casual delivery of, of some lines and his haste and his hasty amending of others is 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 obviously supposed to be you know he's got he's got good timing he's got good instincts and um i love the dance sequence because you can't not have the winner of australia's dance with the stars in your movie <laughs> without making him do a dance number like it i'm like oh they used him they made him dance this is so great <laughs> i you know i agree i 
I, mm-hmm. I am very, very glad that we got to see the dance number in the credits, yeah. but I am even more glad that they we did didn't not have get that it. in yes. the movie proper. Right. Yes. I like that. The, I like that we don't get a whole lot of him. I, to be honest, one of the things I like about it is I like how the bulk of the re- movie focuses on the challenges that go to the women, the relationships they have with each other, the way they look at the world. And Kevin is just like this. Kevin is just there to to burnish their motivation or or give them someone to talk to or whatever. And I'm like, this is what it's like being the girl in every other movie. This is so fun to watch it being flipped. <laughs> Did Annie Potts have nearly the same amount of screen time? That he did. I remember her as being in maybe three or four scenes she's, total yeah, in the first in, movie. She's not in very many scenes. Yeah. She's in Ghostbusters 2 much more. She is. That's yeah. true. And she gets a she gets a nice we should talk. There are there are a lot of cameos in this movie. Yes. She gets she yeah, gets there to be certainly are. at a hotel uh, receptionist desk being exactly who she was in Ghostbusters, which I thought was a, a good fit. Dan Aykroyd is a shifty cabbie who says, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, which I thought <laughs> yes. was actually a good use of, of Dan Aykroyd in that mm-hmm. scene. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. B- Bill Murray gets to extend. I, re- I literally thought Bill Murray was going to be like a passerby. He's like, I'll walk through your movie, but that's it. But he's got two extended scenes as the guy who does not believe in ghosts and is ejected <laughs> out a window. <laughs> gets killed by one. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I have mixed feelings about those cameos. Like I, I get the people. I don't personally, I get that other people have really strong nostalgic attachments to these movies and passionately enjoyed the universe they were in and had a big relationship with the cartoons or whatever. And so it's, oh, we get to see the bust of Harold Ramis. Oh, we get to see all of our old friends in in bit parts and it's a nod. And I'm just like, "Eh, it's, it's, it's felt, some of those interactions felt a little shoehorned in or, or they wouldn't have been nearly so good if, if you're like, oh, look, it's Annie Potts, you know, doing things with phones. Ha ha. So I'm just like, well, it's 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 nice that they were there. Um, my my favorite one was actually when Ernie Hudson and Leslie Jones oh, are busy so arguing good. about the hearse mm, at the end of it. That especially was nice. she- and that's set up for the whole movie, right? It, that's yeah. set up for the whole movie, and I didn't see it. I didn't stop to think yeah. about it. And, yep. and so when mm-hmm. he shows up, I'm like, oh, oh of course, of course, that's who it is. So that was so great. I thought that was good. I think I think the problem is when they overstay their welcome. If they're fast and then yeah. they're out mm-hmm. of there, it's okay. Like the Ackroyd thing was a little bit long. Bill Murray's thing was very long, um, mm-hmm. but at least least he got to be kind of against type and then is horribly killed which he had famously said about doing a ghostbuster sequel that he would only come back and do it if he got killed in it and so they (laughs) so they killed him i so so about this so ghostbusters the original i've seen it like 50 60 times it it is one of my favorite movies of all time even though it is very flawed i know i'm see it enough times you notice all the flaws let me tell you about it (laughs) but I, I, I will say this, and, and of course there's the whole controversy about people saying, oh, this is terrible, they're remaking this wonderful movie. Well, guess what? Every single movie that ever made any money will be remade at least once, probably more times than that. I can, you can tell, as somebody who's seen the original 50, 60, 70 times, uh, you can see that the people who made this movie not only know that movie, they love that movie, and they know it by heart. Because there are such obscure references not only these cameos but there are like really weird obscure references throughout to the original now we could argue maybe it's too much (laughs) maybe you should pretend like that movie didn't happen and just make your movie instead of being i mean this is like the argument about about watchmen being faithful to the comic it's about star trek into darkness being too much trying to make star trek 2 there there are lots of different versions of this argument Um, and i i think there's something to those arguments but what i will say is as somebody who loved that movie i felt the love that this movie had for that movie they're making their own movie it's kind of not as remakey as 
as I thought it was going to be. The Stay Puss Marshmallow Man is a ghost balloon, not the big bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not it's not quite as as uh, you know they they weren't just remaking it with the with the women instead of men in the, in in the part. But I can feel the love for the original. The, these people get it. They know everything that was in that movie and they reference it throughout. So. Um, but, you know, I think arguable whether that actually makes this a better movie or not, but it certainly uh, sent the message to me that these are people who know everything there is to know about Ghostbusters when they made this movie. It might not make it a better movie, but I think it makes it a more lovable movie because, mm-hmm. at least for me, it's, it, I mean, seeing the love that they have made me feel it. And I think most of the cameos, they did a decent job of having a reason for it. Like, yeah, Bill Murray's was the longest, but I also think that his character kind of needed to be in the movie, whether it was Bill Murray playing it or somebody mm-hmm. completely different. They had to have a skeptic to kind of push against. He's almost so, the William Atherton part in this right. movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the second half of that cameo where he's actually in the office with them was the only scene where I felt actual tension and didn't know what the characters were about to do. The yeah. it, it was it, it felt in some ways to me like almost like the heart of Aaron's character was in that scene that this is he he he's the gatekeeper he's the one she has to feel like she has to prove herself to and so there's that question are we going to release the ghost and prove him or are we going to keep the ghost because we spent so darn much time like running after this thing and capturing it and whatever and it just felt like you know we'd seen the first half of of um of Aaron's like struggle to be validated by the male experts in the mm-hmm. university. And this was the second half. And it's that feeling of like, do I want them to acknowledge me or, or am I asking for a pat on the head? And, you know, is that just the wrong move? And I was, I wanted her to feel like she was above it, but I really wanted that ghost to pop out of there and prove him wrong. And then it killed him. Yeah, the tension, <laughs> the tension is not just are they going to open or not, which is really interesting because they have different opinions and they don't, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. that, right. But then the tension also when they open, it's like, it looks like, is there going to be a ghost? And then the, yeah. that moment is revealed. <laughs> he's like, hello, little guy. Hello. And then boom, he's dead. Okay. Or yeah. we don't see him dead, but he's, he's, He's very badly injured. He's been injured. thrown out a window. <laughs> yeah, He's been defenestrated. Yeah, exactly mm-hmm. right. You hate that. I hate when that happens. Um, <laughs> I want to ask about the plot. Uh, you know, we, we've covered a lot of it. Uh, obviously, uh, what, what happens here is we have Rowan, who is our, who is our bad guy, who um, who uh, is Neil Casey. He, uh, he tells Patty, for, helpfully, that she's going to be among the last to die as a service worker. Thanks, dude um he is he's got this is a a place where i actually like this plot better than what they did in the original ghostbusters uh because i think it's a very clever modification they have an enemy in ghostbusters the enemy is the supernatural enemy uh of uh, gozer uh who is was basically like uh, a guy built a building in the 20s and then uh 60 years later finally it worked uh, and in this movie, somebody is causing everything to happen. This guy is trying to bring about the apocalypse. He has a plan. He's trying to open the door from you know to the other dimension. And I think that's a really good choice. That that they 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 there is a subtle moment. Well, it's not super subtle, but like there's a glowing like one of his devices in the mansion at the beginning. And we don't like nobody goes. Oh, look, there's a device down there. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like not camera yet. pushes in a little bit, and then you just kind of move on. But it, you think back to it later, and you're like, oh. Oh, he was there too, and that's mm-hmm. and and I uh, I like that about this that they have a, they have a true um, enemy 
and and it's this guy. I don't I don't know if I love the fact that the guy ends up being the towering creature destroying the city at the end rather than a scary malevolent, you know, god from mm-hmm. another dimension, but I do like that it happens for a reason instead of it just sort of happening like weather, which is what happens yeah. in, in the original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that it happened for a reason that they did have somebody trying to bring this about, like you said, rather than just spontaneous uh boogeymen from the original Ghostbusters. Um, I was almost not sold on the, um, you know, nerdy picked on guy getting revenge on the entire world thing until we hit one moment. They're confronting him in the hotel and he's complaining about how he's been bullied and beaten all his life. And Abby is just like, yeah, that happens to us, too. And, mm-hmm. you know, the unspoken and, you know, we didn't go crazy. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas I could absolutely buy this guy as as the, the villain. Um, yeah. His yeah. outsized sense of entitlement. Yeah. His complete His complete inability to take any responsibility for how people react to him and how he moves through the world. His... Um, completely skewed sense of priorities, his false um, sense of education. Um, it was just, if you had, ba- if you had gone to somebody and said, make me a movie where um, Reddit is the villain. Like, <laughs> 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 like this is what they would have come up with. They could not have made this guy. Um, you know, I suppose there's a criticism to be made with, Oh, you could have tried to make it, you know, give us a little sympathy for him or have him understand his motivations. But, you know, I kind of like the idea that the movie's like, no, you don't have to sympathize with him. You are under no obligation to understand this guy. The fact of the matter is, is that by the time you interact with him, he's a total toolbox and Mm -hmm. you, and you just want him out of your life. Um, It doesn't, there's no origin story that makes him more sympathetic and there's no good reason for what he does. He's just, He's a self pitying jerk, and yeah. he th- that moment is actually kind of breathtaking when yeah. he does the villain speech thing, and he's like, "They never listened mm-hmm. to me, and they didn't take me seriously, and and they looked down on me, and all that." And then the Ghostbusters look, and they're like, "You know, that's pretty much what happens to us all the time, right?" Yeah, and I just, yeah. <gasps> yeah, that's what makes it. Oh, that's what yeah. makes that yeah. <laughs> so yep. good. That's actually that is what made up for because I'm I'm actually mm-hmm. on the other side of the fence here from you, Jason. I I really missed the sort of ancient evil uh, coming to take over, and maybe it's just because I read I read mm-hmm. so much fantasy. I like the ancient evil. I, I just missed that there was no, in in the original Ghostbusters. There's kind of no catalyst for it. See, and I lo- mm-hmm. see, I love that. Oh, I like right. that there's no catalyst. It feels more occult that way. It's like the the exactly. thing that has been sleeping. Yeah, Evo for Shandor years built this building, and now I guess it's time for it to wake up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Maybe it's because I play so much D and D, just you know, reading Lovecraft and stuff. The idea of of sort of an ancient evil that doesn't particularly have a face, at least not the one that you can see, to me is much more interesting as a villain and much scarier. Somebody rolled a one, and the building woke up. <laughs> it's just what yeah, happened. Yeah. <laughs> have I angered the building? <laughs> have you tried sweeping the sidewalks? It likes that. If you're going to give the the villain a face and and actually you know have it be a character, I, I could not have chosen any better than this because yes. The idea of, you know, just the the stereotypical angry nerd on the Internet being that, you know, he's like a walking YouTube comment and, yeah. and he's the bad guy. So, yeah, there's you can't go wrong with that. So I did I did enjoy it. And that scene that you guys mentioned was also like a jaw dropper for me because I was like, wow, way to lay it out for us film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you know what Perfect. else I loved about that? What else I loved is that in this movie, the women don't do a whole lot of emotional labor for the men in their lives. Like there aren't any scenes where they spend their time fretting or worrying about some dude's state 
state of mind. They don't spend a whole lot of time trying to make some, try, trying to ease some guys' insecurity by mouthing platitudes or, or like, no, no, it's, you're really misunderstood and we're here to help you. Like, like they take care of each other as friends, but like, Nobody is there to make Kevin feel good about his life choices. Nobody is there to make this villain feel good about his life choices. They don't even want to make the mayor feel good about anything he's doing. And it is, it is so nice. Like, okay, it's so nice to watch a movie like that where after watching, say, Captain America 3, where everyone's like, no, no, Tony Stark, don't do that. Or no, no, Captain America, don't do that. These are my friends too. Or after watching like the Avengers where it's, but, I don't know, man. What do you think the problem is? And like, it's just so nice to have these people who are like, I like, I like sciencing it up. I like being right about stuff. I like hanging with my friends. I like Papa John's pizza because the script makes me. And we're going to go do this thing. <laughs> There's a moment so where nice. Abby's character explicitly calls Rowan a bully. She yeah. just shouts mm-hmm. it out the yeah. window at him as he's like riding away with, with uh, mm-hmm. Kevin's body. And it felt very deliberate. Yeah. And I appreciated the heck out of it. Oh, um, yeah. that, and uh, again, like another, well, you know, lay it out for the, the movie is just laying it out there yep. because we'd see him getting bullied and by other people. And he is still himself a bully. And it's a direct pointing the finger at every internet jerk who is using his own tortured history as as an excuse and that was if i was going to wave a flag that was what i was waving <laughs> a flag for mm-hmm. <laughs> i wanted to talk about the uh the government part of this story which again in the original they go see the mayor the here we get first off andy garcia as the mayor which is just a wacky part and cecily strong uh, cecily strong is his, his uh his uh pr person basically who, not, who does not unclench her jaw even not once. even a little <laughs> bit uh, andy garcia has one of the other wacky lines in the movie which is I'm not the Jaws mayor don't say I'm the mayor of Jaws never compare me to the mayor that is a deep cut that is bizarre but I wanted to ask about the FBI stuff because this is actually one of the problems I have with the plot of this movie is I feel like there's that moment where the basically the government calls on the supernatural people it's like Fox Mulder had been waiting his whole life for this moment and he never got it which is (laughs) which is like yes there is a conspiracy but we've got it so just go back. We're going to and, and the funny part of it is we're going to pretend that you're incompetent, but no, it's totally real. And and that that is funny, but I never really bought this part of the story because I felt like I wanted the government to either say um, we're covering it up, but we know nothing and have them be like outraged, like we can help you with this or to have it be like the government is on it and they've got their own people on it. I, I really honestly, all I really wanted was a scene where they said, we've got our we've got our top men working on it. And they'd be who? And they'd say top <laughs> yeah. men. I realize that's referencing another one of my favorite movies, but still that moment of like, oh, no, the government's got this. And the Ghostbuster would be like, no, no, we're the experts. So who do you have? And instead, it was like they didn't want to talk about it. Like they didn't want to say the government knew other than the or that the government was in completely incompetent and just wanted to cover it up and hope it went away. I felt like they were in this weird middle ground and I felt like I get why they did it for the plot and the movie and maybe some of the jokes, but I really, it didn't sit well with me. Like the FBI agents are like the FBI agents in Die Hard. They're completely useless. And um, I don't know. I just, I, I just wanted something different. I felt like there must've been some other spin they could have put on, on like what the government knows to make the Ghostbusters more incensed or seem more capable like that the government doesn't even want to listen to them and instead it was like no no we've got it under control 
blank space. Yeah, like you said, it doesn't fit because they 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 don't go for one or the other. Uh, to me, it just felt like this one huge metaphor of um, you know women's efforts being undercut again. You know, like if a woman does something and there's a man around who can take credit for it, he might. Oh it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that sort of it, it felt like that. I just wanted a better explanation for why I get I, I mean, that, and yeah. that was effective and funny when they're always made to be incompetent. And then they see it on TV and they're like, oh, man, I just wanted mm-hmm. like, why did that happen? And I, di- I didn't get any logic, I felt like, from the movie about that. No, I don't think you do. This is a post 9-11 world and they, you know, sort of have to acknowledge what if if this was a real thing, if ghosts were really happening in New York, what would Homeland Homeland Security would have a role in it. They would be doing something, um, and they wouldn't necessarily want a public entity involved mm-hmm. in it. Sure. But on the other hand, you know, if they were serious about that, then you know, you shut down the whole operation. You convince the Ghostbusters to move to another town, or you know, arrest them, or you know, something, or just stay out of this one because we've yeah. got our own people. But we never really saw their own people. Yeah, it would have been really funny if they had talked about their own people. Then you cut to like Claire Danes in a room with a really elaborate chart <laughs> and lots of yarn between photos, and she's like ranting and raving, and no one is listening to her. Like that would have been one of the greatest jokes, <laughs> and it would have also done a really good job of of continuing the theme that women often don't get listened to even when they're onto something and even when they should be respected for their chops. Like that would have been just a wonderful idea where they're like, do we have a best person? Like, of course we do. And they're cut to somebody who's there. Her phone is literally disconnected and nobody's noticed. And she's got her giant diagram and she's figured out the whole thing and she's ranting and raving about New York and no one is talking to her. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of wondered, especially at the end after seeing the dance sequence moved to the end credits, I wondered if there was there was actually more to the FBI plot Uh that got either Mm -hmm. not filmed in the first place or filmed and cut or something, because I agree, it did feel it felt very thin, like in a movie that had a lot of depth in a lot of places. It was just like sort of the one paper thin thing that was just plastering over one little section of the film. I got to say this, this right here is like my I was I felt overall like just so confused about this movie when I left the theater because there's so much I liked about it and so much that just didn't work that I ended up just feeling very like I didn't know what I thought of it. And I haven't felt that way about a movie in a long time. But going back to the, the Die Hard thing, I thought of Die Hard too. And it's in Die Hard, the, the FBI becomes sort of the de facto villain in that they are, they play straight into the hands of uh, of of the actual Gruber, villains yeah. Yeah. and Hans Gruber and they further his scheme and that serves to build up uh, John McClane in a way that doesn't happen in this movie and so they really I mean they are I felt like they needed a reason to sideline the Ghostbusters. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. was why. What's your excuse they in- to sideline yeah. them? And they never really get a good excuse. It's like because we say so. Yeah. Like once they toss Bill Murray's character out a window, it's like they still need some somebody or something keeping them down. And this was the best they could come up with. Yeah. I feel like to, to address Helene's point, um, I loved the experience of watching this movie. And I loved that I got all the way through the movie and I was able to like let out a breath. I hadn't even been aware I was holding. Um, Cause again, there's no looks policing in this movie. Um, 
no woman is reduced merely to whatever value she brings to a dude's life. Like there's no Cameron Crowe. Oh, thank you woman for helping me see the value of who I am because you have done nothing but devote your life to the value of me. Um, like th- there's just so much about this movie that, that felt friendly to, to, to me as, as, as a woman watching it. Um, you know, the, the idea that it's women who have relationships with each other where they don't spend their time talking about men at all. Like they actually have thoughts and feelings about the world or, or things that they're interested in. Um, and And when they're in a fight, there is nothing sexualized about what they're doing. And they want to resolve things. They want to resolve like the, you know, cause it's one of the core beats in this movie is that Abby and Aaron make up and they become friends and collaborators and they're stronger for it. And so I loved that it was a movie that doesn't make you feel bad about how you look. It is a movie that celebrates women as people with thoughts and ambitions and interests outside of men and families and things like that. And it celebrated female relationships. And, and there's no manic pixie yeah. dream ghostbuster. Right, right. There's no emotional labor that anybody does. There's no emotional labor anybody does that they shouldn't have to do. And so, like, that's just such a weird experience to have. I'm, I can't remember the last time... I've watched a movie where I haven't had to go, okay, yes, but at some point during the movie where I have to like it, even though some of it just like is, oh, Mm -hmm. that's right. Um, That said, just because the movie had all of those great and novel things going for it, there are like plot complications that you could drive a truck through. And and there are choices I wouldn't have made in the movie. Um, And there is like, I don't know, I may be the only one who is really disappointed that the movie also didn't throw a wrench at Aaron by having the woman who haunted her at the end of her bed come back. Like, I was so happy that didn't happen. No, because she mentioned (laughs) it. And I was like, who the hell haunts a woman? Who the hell haunts a kid for a year? And thought, if this ghost comes back and Aaron has to confront it, like this can be a a moment that lets her move on from that primal trauma. You know, I would have liked to have seen how they would have, how the movie would have handled that. Um, I'm hoping that'll be a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's so funny because I was so thrilled that they didn't have that because that seemed to me to be sort of the I was like no one needs a catharsis in this movie. No one needs to get over their past. No one needs to like have the like hug it out and cry sort of thing happen to them. Oh, they and hugged it out. As this soon movie as they plenty. brought up that woman, I was like, Well, there's the gun on the mantelpiece. I'm just waiting for it to go off. And when they it didn't, when it would just had when it was just this little monologue that she got to have about her origin as a ghostbuster that that to me felt like a little gift it was like we got to see inside her for a little bit it was like the only bit of interiority we got on you know i guess any of these characters really that Mm -hmm. wasn't directly Mm -hmm. related to the plot and it got to just stand there on its own as an intimate moment and i was really glad we didn't get to see that old lady yeah it does feel like a movie that is very much moving forward this is this is a river running you know down the stream carrying these characters forward we're not yeah not confronting the past and stuff well i think that would be a fun thing to look at in in a sequel uh i do agree that is not something that i actually noticed or thought about in watching the movie but now that I, i think about it I'm I am okay with it not being there because it would have maybe felt a little bit like backtracking. I want to mention the dance because we've touched on it. I just found I wanted to say again <laughs> that it's really bizarre. Like first off, in the movie, I mean, you could tell that they, I mean, bless them for deciding something didn't work and and just taking it out. But like in the movie, he makes the 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 cops and the FBI guys and everybody else in the street do these dance poses, and you're watching it and you're like, what? 
is happening. Huh? So baffled. And then and then at the end of the movie, over the end credits, there's a dance scene with that's in that moment, and it's Mm -hmm. just I I don't I can't remember seeing something so clearly like well we liked this sort of but not enough to put it in the movie so we'll put it over the end credits like this scene and i i, I mean i guess it goes to a, we can, it can fuel all of our theories about stuff that makes no sense because they made changes uh, in editing mm-hmm. because that that's you know i don't know i, I just wanted mm-hmm. to mention it because it's really bizarre that they're like yeah and remember that scene that didn't make any sense yeah here's the music video over the end credits it felt like it was an acknowledgement of we all know how movies are made we all see like the second disc that comes with with the, the blu-ray now we all see the behind the scenes and the cut scenes and whatever so instead of saving the cut scene for the for the you know the 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 extra on the disc here you can have it now and it was like here's our gift to you yes that moment was stupid here's the here's why that moment was stupid here's what you didn't see we're going to show you now instead of you having to wait six months yeah i think my guess is that this was rolling killing time waiting for the ghostbusters to show up you know waiting because they were eventually going to get there there's his line about oh women always late or whatever it is um and as you said they realized that too long too goofy but if we put it in the credits and Mm -hmm. i think that works because both of the viewings that um i've seen so far um people who were still there watching guess what guys there's a scene after the credits stay for it um Mm -hmm. that a lot of people were giggling and laughing watching it so Mm -hmm. the way they found to use it i think it worked Mm mm-hmm yeah, I think this was the most like uplifted and happy and chatty and giggly uh, an audience has ever been, both during the credits and at the end. More people stayed for the credits during this than than even most of the Marvel movies I've gone to see on opening night. You know, you'd think those people would know better than to leave before the credits are open, but are over. But no, no, they're they're gone. Whereas a good chunk of the theater stayed around for this, and then as the lights were coming up and everybody was wandering out afterwards, people were. Just Joking with each other and laughing and talking about things they had seen in the movie and, you know, Harold Ramis's bust and just mm-hmm. I, it was such a feeling of come together glee that I hadn't experienced even at like something like uh, The Force Awakens, which was an amazing experience all on its own. It didn't have the same sort of feeling of just pure togetherness and happiness, which was really nice to experience. And I I do credit at least some of that with having such just a a blatantly over the top, happy, we're having a good time sort of scene over the credits. I I didn't mind it over the credits. It was like baby Groot dancing. Yeah, exactly. Bravo to them for taking it out because that would have been horrible in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had some issues with the with the end sequence, but boy, they would have been so much worse uh, had that yeah. been a part of the movie proper. All right, what are your issues? Tell me, tell me your issues. Uh, my issue was that it got toward the end, and I realized, oh dear, this is going to be a great big over the top in your face uh, CGI action sequence. And one of the things that I loved so much about the original Ghostbusters was sort of the elegance of the end of it. It's four schlubby guys that have to climb a whole bunch of stairs and they're not in great shape and they're exhausted. And really they beat the bad guy by by using their brains. Um, and, you know, they almost beat themselves by using their brains too. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. But, uh, but they're... They're just, you know, it's four proton packs and using them appropriately, there's there's not an action sequence. So the fact that they were adding it here, I was like, really, in this day and age, I guess every single summer blockbuster has to have an action yeah. sequence. And I was kind of very sad about that. And then as I was watching it, it dawned on me, you know what? 
you never get to see women having an action sequence like this. Just just all kinds of, of glory. And they're just they're having fun and kicking butt in a way that I mean, usually when you see really kick ass lady action sequences, the ladies are dressed in skin tight leather. And there's a lot of slow motion and close ups on heaving bosoms and all that sort of stuff within the action sequence, which drives me crazy. Uh, and here we didn't have any of that. This is just a bunch of people who are trying to save the world and actually having fun doing it and realizing that this is something that almost never gets a chance to happen. And this whole movie is one big thing that almost never gets a chance to happen. I cannot blame them for taking this opportunity to put something like that in there. And and then you had the Holtzman scene, which, yeah, that was that yeah. was me sliding <laughs> down the Kinsey scale right there. Yeah. Hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we are post-Matrix. Of course, there was going to be special effects and, as you said, some kind of big fight sequence or, you know, they were going to fight a big band of some sort. Um, I had, you know, and as you said, all we got was them fighting, them helping each other, them supporting each other um, as they fought. Um, And then um, that was, yeah, the uh, the other thing of the the way they chose to take it out. Loosen his grip and they go for the goring shot. Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. One of the things that I like throughout this movie is, and and a, and a thing that doesn't happen, again, it, the original Ghostbusters just skips right over it, is Holtzman in the background is inventing new things all the time, right? Right. And, yes. and, and She's like manic cue. And all we get, you know, and in, in the original Ghostbusters, we get literally two scenes where they use their equipment. There's a scene in the hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's two scenes. There's a scene upstairs where they burn the toilet paper and scare the the lady and Vinkman gets slimed. And there's a scene in the ballroom. And then there's a scene at the end, right? That, those are the two scenes we see of them using the equipment. And here at the end, one of, one of the things I really like about it is it's messy enough when they get there that they have to use their equipment. And we see everything that they've used and then some things that we didn't even know Holtzman had invented. And, and, and everything like is used with a purpose. They use, they use the the little uh, proton packs uh, so much more than it's used in the original and you can really see like these are why they work the way they work which I, I really liked all of that um, if there's anything in that and I, I really like that when they finally get the giant towering thing they're like well let's go for a soft spot and they and they shoot mm-hmm. him in the crotch I thought that was hilarious um, <laughs> I, I did think it went a little uh, went a little long I also like the ghost I think the ghosts are really weird they had the, like the tall stilt leg ghost walking around yeah. and stuff oh, yeah I thought that, I thought they looked glowy and weird and I, I liked them I thought they I thought it was a like a almost like a carnival, but mm-hmm. evil yeah. and ghostly carnival. I, I liked it. Um, I think the, the portal thing was a little bit weird and I, and I get why emotionally they wanted to have uh, one, one of them save the other one and, and all of that. But it, it not only did it feel a little big hero six to me, but it felt like that one was, was uh, I kind of wanted it to be over. I kind of wanted them to just sort of solve the problem and be done instead of having it extend for another five minutes as they kind of, go down through a portal and then come back. See, I kind of like that because it was, to me, that was sort of the replacement for the elegance of the ending of the original. I I wanted a little bit of that more sort of intimate ending. um, And and that was how I got it. And I I agree that it maybe feels a little bit tacked on, but I just... I I just thought it was beautiful. I'm going to admit it. It gave me it gave me entirely different kinds of feels. It made me all kind of weepy and, and happy and stuff. So, 
I, the, the way that the problem was solved, the way I, I, I was really happy that it was Patty who, who solved mm-hmm. it. But but the the way that, you know, here's the setup and here's the thing, the, the, the car that's got the bomb on top of it. And here's, you know, the thing we need. It felt like the last 10 minutes of a mid-level Doctor Who episode where, <laughs> okay, now the doctor has to solve the problem. Well, here's the thing that's going to solve the problem. Apply solution A to problem B. There you go. It happened when it needed to happen. There you go. And that, to me, felt a little, not pat, but just, I wanted more, I wanted a little more surprise. I wanted a little more tension. And it was just, everything was just, telegraphed so clearly three minutes before it actually happened that I just I was a little bored toward the end and that was that was disappointing yeah I mean I I, I'm with you yeah I'm the downer (laughs) (laughs) I felt like the bomb on the car was not uh overly telegraphed I I just thought it was it was seated at the right time Mm -hmm. it, it didn't it didn't feel too obvious to me I didn't think of it until after Patty said it so as an action sequence I thought the end was boring but I get totally get the emotional appeal of it right I mean that's why that scene is there it was just sort of coming right on the heels of the rest of the action sequence and also I know I have that I have that inside me which is like the physics of uh, they're on a cable and they're through a portal and how are they going to pull them back and how is she actually speeding up to catch the her because are are they in a void floating around and 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 it kind of but again emotionally resonant absolutely it was it was just i think maybe piling it all together um but a lot to like uh about it and 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 um i think it ended ended fun what else have we not talked about that people want to mention because now is your time to bring it all out have have we talked about holtzman yet because she's pretty great Uh, (laughs) i think we did i I think so oh okay Hmm. just just making sure just making sure i think one of my favorite things actually the first time i watched it there were all these groups of girls and all these groups of women and then after it was over everyone stayed in the theater and watched all the way through even to the like the the stinger scene at the end and then everyone just like stood in the aisles and talked and stood in the lobby and talked and stood in the bathroom and talked and it was just there was this palpable sense of of pleasure and relief. And um, it was such a great movie-going experience. And so I think that's going to color my perception of the movie for a while. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing this when it comes out on HBO in two years or whatever, because it'll be interesting to see how I receive the movie then compared to, you know, the experience of going to see the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, has anybody else had that, that observation or experience where you, you had to kind of separate out the whole at this place in time, the movie felt like this. But when I see it in a different context, I suspect it will be something else. Oh, yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm not even trying, though, in this case. I just yeah. want to revel in it as it is for <laughs> yeah. as long as I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's that. Because I, I went in with the mindset, you know, early on, I'm going to pay for this movie. And I don't care if it's garbage. I'm going to pay for this movie just out of principle. And the more I saw of it, the more I was thinking, OK, I think I'm going to like it. I did not expect to come out feeling loving it, just feeling like I was on a high. And I still felt that pretty much the second time around, you know, even though my son was like, you know, I I liked it, but, you know, uh, I didn't like this, or I thought that was kind of corny. You're disowned! Quiet! (laughs) He hated Mrs. Slimer. (laughs) Oh, I hated Mrs. Slimer, (laughs) too. He was okay with Slimer, but he hated the the existence of Mrs. Slimer. Uh And I admit, unnecessary, Mm -hmm. you know, Goofy, unnecessary, but I don't know why that just 
ticked him off so much. I thought that was a really good comedy build, too, where it's like he steals mm-hmm. the car and then we see him kind of come yeah. back and then he comes back again. And it's, and it's like, this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's peep, there's like other ghosts with him. Yeah. And I think he would have been fine with a full car. He just didn't like that. He didn't like Mrs. Slimer with her blonde Buffon. potato and wig or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like Miss Pac-Man. Mm-hmm. I'm on, I'm on team your son. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I kind of am, too. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed that they gendered the ghost so aggressively, and she ended up just being such an awful stereotype because it 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 felt like Miss Pac Man. It felt like every oh, yeah. lame thing in the eighties when they're like, "Oh, people are complaining because there's no female characters." We'll show you now, and they stick in something. She's got a bow like on her head. Come on, yeah, it's so awful. It's just it just has a feel of. <sighs> fine and and that's what i love about it is because it's just such a it's such a callback to all of those stupid stupid 1980s style cartoons that oh we have to put in a girl or else now we'll pick on us here you go <laughs> yeah i kind of just tried to forget the whole slimer thing i liked i liked seeing slimer at the hot dog cart i thought that was a nice little it was a nice little callback that you didn't necessarily have to have seen right. the original movie to to just enjoy but yeah then slimers and his family getting it, it uh yeah that was just that was too much for me yeah. and i had actually forgotten all about the fact that it happened until you guys just brought it up so <laughs> you're, you're welcome <laughs> i want to mention the scene where they where they the, their big um sort of eureka moment where they figured out that it's ley lines and mm-hmm. they figured out by mapping out the attacks because i am such a huge sucker for a good like eureka realization scene with a map in it and where it's because it's that visualization of oh because we're we're getting the realization we can see it as they see it and i can't remember one that had any women in it though the 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 two other ones i can remember are hunt for red october has one and Mm -hmm. so does sneakers you gotta love when you draw you draw a thing and things connect Mm -hmm. and they're like oh they connect right it's like we we search for a pattern for the serial killer and then somebody goes but what if we did it like this and you're like oh my god that's where the serial killer is it's a great moment i I had a thing that i wanted to mention which is about the ending so the ending they they are like thanks for saving the city what do you want and they're like we want that firehouse that's the firehouse from the from the original ghostbusters we want that to be our (laughs) hq and they're like all right and so they get it and we see sigourney weaver in what is a fun cameo uh as as the as the mentor for holtzman uh, safety lights are for dudes. Safety lights are for dudes. There's a good joke there, and and that that little scene, as well as the post credit scene, because every movie's got one of those where 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 uh, they're saying, "Do you guys know about Zool?" Um, <laughs> the one of the things that I loved about um, this movie, and I loved about the feeling I got walking out of a lot of those classic uh, Star Trek movies, I always felt this way, was like that I can't wait to see the next part of the adventure. Like, you yes. know, there's a, in, in Star Trek four, they get the, they get the new enterprise and they're about to go out on adventures and you leave the theater kind of uplifted of like, what will those adventures be? Right. And that's how I left this movie. I didn't think going into it. I never even thought about them doing a sequel to this movie. And I came out thinking, I really want to see that movie. I really want to see them mm-hmm. with the, all of their powers, with the firehouse and, 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 and this cool setup and, and Sigourney Weaver as the scientific mentor. And I, want to see that and that mm-hmm. that's a neat trick to, to have me sit through their whole movie and get to the end and say oh i want to see i want to see more and they did it 
I had a lot of fun with this movie, and and I, I what I what I like about our conversation is I feel like we've covered the high points, and I think we've covered the flaws that this movie has. And this is not a movie without flaws. This you know there are weird pacing things, things that probably should have been cut out, some uh, a few strange creative decisions, um, and then also it's uh, a lot of funny moments, a lot of good character stuff, great cast. Oh, the casting's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah in the end, I mean. When, I liked it. I mean, I didn't. I didn't love it. I don't think it's like the best movie I've ever seen or anything. But I thought it was a real. I thought it was a really good comedy, and I love this genre. And and this is a genre that was basically created by the original Ghostbusters. I would argue, which is the blockbuster comedy, the action sci-fi comedy, and uh, it was a very eighties kind of concept. And I, I love that. I love that there are go- spooky ghosts and and science things and jokes all together that's sort of my thing. So uh, this, this did that and more, more like this, please. Yeah. You know, I much more like this. I would say that at this point I do love it. And I think a lot of that is like Lisa was saying, just because of the feeling that I had watching it, the experience and, you know, maybe years down the road, maybe even just a few months down the road, I will, it will be downgraded to, to liking it and finding it an an enjoyable Mm -hmm. movie. But really from, I mean, I can actually tell you kind of where the turning point happened for me. Uh, There was the awkwardness at the beginning that I wasn't quite enjoying. And, and then you get the scene where Holtzman is dancing to Rhythm of the Night. And, <laughs> yes. and then Abby comes in and says, I don't mean to debarge in. And at that moment, <laughs> yes. they had me. That 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 dance in that line was like a little hook directly into the heart of Erica. And they just oh. dragged me along for the rest of the movie. And then Holtzman replies, oh, is it debarge? <laughs> I thought it was Devo. I thought it was Devo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they, that was the moment that they had me, and they kept me until the very end. So I'm, uh, I'm still riding on the high. I plan to go see it again probably next week. I was hoping to see it again before we recorded. I just didn't have time. So, so yes, yeah, I'm, I'm going again. Yeah, I'm hoping to go still. again this weekend so that the so so that uh, you know strong second week at the box office. Yes. <laughs> see, I wish I didn't feel like this movie is as much of a precious gift as it actually is. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I wish I could just enjoy it as a comedy on its own terms and acknowledge the successes and acknowledge where it needed work and have a nice fun summer comedy that you go and you see and you laugh at and maybe four days later you don't remember half of it but that's fine the guys get that all the time how many times have I gone and seen one of those and it in fe- instead we felt like you know I I, f- I feel like I have to really punch up the good things about it and, you know, sort of not so much about the bad things about it because it's just so rare and precious and it just sort of makes my heart twist. All right. I think we've reached the end, but I want to thank my panel for uh, telling me that there's a phone on my desk and not just in the aquarium. Because that's an important tip, pro tip, pro tip, yes. good to know. Mm-hmm. It's okay, Jason, we like you, despite your many, many frustrating quirks. <laughs> I think there's something about a goat. Uh, Lisa Schmeiser, thank you so much for being here. I just want you to know books can't fly and neither can babies. <laughs> Helene Wecker, thank you. Thank you. Erica Ensign, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. You guys, this is exactly how I pictured my death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a good line. And Shannon Southern, <laughs> thank you for being here. Always a pleasure. And thanks everybody out there for listening to this edition of The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Next week.